Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. And welcome to What Goes Up, a Bloomberg Weekly Markets podcast. I'm Sarah Ponsek, a reporter on the Cross Asset team. And I'm Mike Regan, a senior editor on the markets team. This week on the show, we're still catching our breath after what has felt like the busiest week of the year. Seriously. First, the Fed cut rates for the first time in a decade. Then Wednesday and Thursday saw more trading volume midday than at any other point in 2019. President Trump announced fresh tariffs. And on top of all of that, it's been the most hectic period of the second quarter earnings season. Right. And if all of that is not crazy enough, uh, don't worry. We still will have our traditional, the craziest thing I ever saw in markets this week. And Sarah, as you know, I get excited on podcast day. I'm especially excited today. And you know why? Why? We have a new hotline. We do. What goes up hotline. So if you saw something in crazy in markets, please give us a ring and leave a voicemail with what you saw. Sarah, I, of course, forgot the number. Hopefully you have the number handy. Oh, I have it on hand. I've memorized it already. It's 646-324-3490. So feel free to give us a call. Leave us a voicemail of the craziest things that you guys have seen in markets. And if it's good enough, maybe we will even play it on the show. That's right. Well, two things that are not crazy are our two guests this week. Are you see, sure about that? You see what I did there? <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. First guest is joining us from FTSE Russell. He's the Managing Director of Global Market Research, Alec Young. Welcome to the show, Alec. Great to be here, guys. And also joining us from Bloomberg Television, he's an anchorman and a reporter, Romaine Bostic. And Sarah, I just want to paint a picture for the listeners who don't watch TV. I think Romaine is widely considered the best-dressed man on, on Bloomberg <laughs> oh, Television. no doubt is about he, it. Is he, like, I, I would I, agree. I, I try. I try. We don't have a hotline on our show, though. You need a hotline. So I'm already <laughs> you know, two minutes into this podcast, and I'm already jealous. You're already thinking about it. <laughs> yeah, You're you going to go back to your producers. Do you guys have a bigger budget than I do? <laughs> nah, I don't know about that. <laughs> Not a bigger clothing budget, I'll tell you that. Now, Romaine dresses like he belongs on TV. He I dress like I should be selling TVs down at the mall. <laughs> you know, like, hey... Uh, how about a 60th zenith for you? Anyway, we got notes from Alec and his uh, people about, you know, some of the research and stuff he's been up to recently. I got to say, he really nailed it. I got to give you a round of applause, Alec. I just want to read a couple of the talking points from, from your notes here. Now, remember, this is a week where the Fed cut rates, but uh, did not really signal a, a full-on easing campaign. Uh, you know, Powell referred to it as a mid-cycle adjustment, kind of signaling maybe one or two cuts, not a full-blown easing campaign. Uh, that disappointed a lot of people. The next day, we got uh, President Trump announcing new tariffs. Let me just read you some of the notes Alec wrote before all this happened. Uh, one, don't confuse the recent U.S.-China trade truce with an all-clear. Uh, and clearly it's not an all-clear. <laughs> check. check. <laughs> And also, markets may be over-extrapolating both how much the Fed will ease and how much it will help. 
Now, they definitely uh, over-extrapolated how much uh, Powell was planning to ease. Now the question is, how much will it really help? Is that sort of a top-of-mind thing for you, Alec, is, you know, will these rate cuts really uh, be what the market needs to see this data, economic data firm up? Yeah, I mean, I think the, the markets have been such a one-way bet for, for months, um, really buoyed by this idea that of the Powell put and fundamentals are a little bit shaky, but it's okay. You know, the Fed's got our back that you really have to scrutinize, you know, could the market be over extrapolating things? And I think on a couple of fronts, one, will the Fed just numerically cut as much as expected? If we look at Fed fund futures, they're still pricing in about 180 on the two-year note mm-hmm. in a year versus uh, there are the two-year notes at 180, excuse me, and the Fed funds is two and a quarter. So the market's pricing in about 40, 45 basis points of additional easing over the next year. So that's, that's two more cuts. And and I think Chairman Powell's statements were more like, we did an insurance cut. We're going to watch. We're not ruling out further cuts. But don't confuse this with, you know, uh, month after month uh, rate cutting cycle. So the market may have gotten a little ahead of not only the amount of the cuts, but then, as you said, what's the impact? Because things like housing will respond very favorably to lower rates. A lot of the traditional economic metrics will. But a lack of capex due to trade-related anxiety, I'm not sure that that's the kind of uh, metric, you know, um, CEO, CFO confidence. I'm not sure that that's the kind of metric that is as sensitive to modest reduction in the Fed funds rate. So given how much markets have run on the back of one positive catalyst, there's a quite a bit to lose if the markets maybe overshot its skis a little bit on the positive impacts there. Alec, you've also called this a quote unquote, show me market. Right. Some of the latest data that we've gotten has been some of the ISM data, which came in it wasn't it wasn't great by any means. Uh, missed expectations, still not in contractionary territory. Prices paid were lower as well. At this point in time, for it to be a show me market, now that trade is back in play and people are waiting for the Fed to ease, is it better if economic data is good but not that good? Or at this point, do you need a little bit rougher, rougher economic data to come out? Yeah, I think in the current macroeconomic environment, it is safe to say that bad economic news may be interpreted in a positive way uh, by investors, given that, you know, additional Fed easing is so important to the macro backdrop right now. We even saw that with the latest ISM report. It was a little soft and stocks actually welcome that news. So, yeah, we're in a very uh, tricky environment right now. I call it a show me market because we've run up so much on hope versus actual, you know, fundamental facts. The global leading economic indicators are soft. Earnings growth, while coming in better than expected, is still pretty weak. It's only up low single digits year over year. Valuations aren't through the roof, but we're at about 17, 18 times forward earnings. So you need to see investors want to show me these great profits because on trailing earnings, the market's much more expensive. So um, I think we're in that that show me phase to really build on this rally. We need to see that investors' positive hopes are coming to fruition, that their their hopes are being fulfilled. Now, Romain, you spend a good part of your day talking to really smart investors, analysts, strategists. What is sort of the the consensus out there? Is what Alec is saying, does that ring true to, to what a lot of the people you're hearing from? You know, what is sort of the, 
What's the word on the street from Romaine's uh, seat there well, in the anchor well, chair? Well, I think a lot of people, I mean, the, the cut itself wasn't really a disappointment. I think most people weren't really expecting more than that. But I definitely think the communication that we got during the uh, press conference, uh, you know, it created a lot more confusion. Uh, there were a lot of folks banking on this idea that we were, that this was more than an insurance cut, that we were embarking on uh, a little bit more of a prolonged, if even short, but still prolonged easing cycle. Remember, the communication that we were getting out of Fed members, even in July, Bullard, Clarita, early July, was pretty much made it clear that we could potentially get, first of all, more than 25 basis points in one fell swoop, but that we were at least going to get more than 25 basis points this year. So a lot of people walked away from Wednesday's press conference with this sense of, or confusion, I should say, of whether we were going to get maybe another 25 basis points later in this year. Something the market has largely priced in, not only a 25, but really they've been, they were priced in about 30 basis points uh, prior to the meeting. Uh, And then once the meeting ended, you kind of saw a lot of fluctuations as people were trying to figure it out. I don't know if, and I want to go back to a point that Alec made too about just sort of the impact of the rate cut, because there was this sense too that what is Powell really trying to do here? Mm-hmm. If this was about a reigniting inflation or reigniting inflation expectations, he clearly failed on that level, at least in the short term. If this is about sort of reigniting business confidence, which is, let's face it, probably the weak spot of the economy right now, what does 25 basis points do for CapEx? I mean, cost of capital hasn't been really an issue for right. companies. This right. is a confidence game for companies right now. And the confidence really has nothing to do with the Fed. It has to do with what's going on in the White House. And I'm not sure that monetary policy can fix that. You know, Alec, a lot of people uh, are clearly making the connection to the mid-90s when uh, the mid-cycle adjustments from the Fed, a a few, uh, two or three rate cuts to sort of, uh, you know, react to the Asian financial crisis, long-term capital management, that type of thing. Do you see that parallel in this case? I mean, is that a valid comparison to make? I think to really to know if if just one or two insurance cuts is all we need, you kind of have to have the answer to how does the whole trade situation play out? How does the deterioration in Europe and China, you know, do, is that about to bottom or is it just sort of getting started? There's a lot of um, unknowns. And I think, um, you know, sometimes people do a few things when they read the Fed tea leaves. One, they, I think, over-extrapolate how much more the Fed knows than the rest of us. Right. Not right. to take anything away from them, but at the end of the day, they, they all have their Bloomberg terminals and they're doing <laughs> what a lot of professional investors that scrutinize them so closely and reporters are doing. So, you know, they're not omniscient scions, right? Um, and the second thing is, I think, unfortunately, Chairman Powell seems to be maybe overly sensitive to the markets. When the markets were very volatile, the more volatile the markets are, the more dovish his commentary just inherently seems to be. Markets had recovered. You get him in front of the microphone. He doesn't sound as dovish. I think that seems to be the pattern. He's he's very he he's not a a Ph.D. economist. He comes from a market background, um, very popular in the in the financial community. I think more in tune with market dynamics than maybe some of his predecessors, less of a formally trained economist. Um, So I'm very confident that um, if we need in further insurance cuts, the Fed will be there to deliver them. The The problem, I, I don't think, I think the market was getting comfortable today with the idea that the um, the Fed is, is still has their back, even though the communication post-meeting could have been a little bit better. The wild card here is trade, which people thought was on the back burner. They're continuing to talk. No imminent breakthrough, but it's not, uh, it's not deteriorating. That's obviously changed. Um, so I think I think it's really it's not so much on the insurance side. It's on the, the growth side of the ledger that investors are, are struggling a little bit now. 
know, I wonder if you sort of put yourself in the shoes of uh, Jerome Powell, uh, and you, even if you're thinking, well, we really are going to do a, a full-on easing campaign. Is there a danger in signaling that right away? I mean, is it the type of thing, if you have a hungry kid in front of you and you're trying to get them to eat the, their broccoli, you don't want to let them know that there's ice cream coming up behind it, right? I mean, is it yeah. is there a danger in cutting a quarter point now and signaling more to come where it sort of defers that behavior that you're trying to influence down the line? It can be self-fulfilling. And, and there's always that risk that the markets will think, well, maybe the Fed knows something we don't. Maybe it's worse than we thought. It can also, you know, give false incentives and get people to take, you know, undue risks in the market. So, you know, there's no perfect answer. But I think the bottom line is that for most of this year, the trend in risk assets has been up because the feeling's been that the Fed is going to be very supportive. I think now the narrative is shifting to growth risks. The focus is squarely on U.S.-China trade. Both sides want to save face domestically. I don't see China backing down from this latest news from the president. Mm -hmm. So if we don't see that, if they don't try to diffuse this, the next conclusion is, well, maybe they do something confrontational. How would the markets take that? I think given the markets have really priced in, global growth is bottoming, trade will be favorably resolved, largely because of policy accommodation. I think that has to unwind a little bit. At the margin, policy accommodation underwhelmed, the little the Fed's a little less dovish than expected, admittedly from a that's relative to very dovish expectations. And on the trade front, clearly things are a little worse than expected. So it's sort of a double whammy for for risk assets, whether it's equities, U.S. or globally, probably more so globally, a bigger negative globally, where they have less of a strong consumer to play off, and for credit, um, for high, things like high yield. It's really um, uh, it's really a incremental negative. Your insurance isn't as strong as you thought it was going to be. And the risks, the reason you need that insurance is, is a little greater than you thought it was going to be. When we came into the office Thursday morning, the probability of a rate cut for September was around 60 percent. Then President Trump dropped the tweets saying that tariffs on three hundred billion dollars of extra imports from China were going to go up to 10 percent as of September 1st. And that probability shot up to more than 95%. Romaine, how do you see the relationship between trade and the Fed playing out here? Well, I mean, the market was largely pricing in this idea that uh, the best case scenario, and part of that best case scenario was predicated on two things, is that the Fed would be there as a backstop quickly if things really went south, and that the trade dispute is still largely in the hands of one man who could turn on a dime tomorrow right. if he really wanted to and resolve this. Mm-hmm. And so there was always this, this sort of faith that uh, the president would only go so far that if the markets uh, you know, got too out of whack or the economy was getting too out of whack from the trade war, that somehow Trump would pivot. Now, I think that might have been a little bit wishful thinking. And I think somewhat of the, the reaction that you're seeing in the market re- re- right now is this idea that they are going to try to test the Fed. They are going to try to test uh, the White House and, and, and the legislators as well uh, to sort of, you know, create some sort of resolution to all of this. And I think this tantrum that you could potentially see in this market has the potential to sort of create a, a, a really bizarre feedback loop where Powell and companies sort of still have to sort of look at the data and not really sort of just give in and, and you know, give the market their pacifier every time they start whining. But at the same time, you have to understand that right now this economy is and the markets are intertwined in a way that I don't think we've really seen, at least in sort of, you know, 
this current generation. Now, it's a great point. I mean, because when you think of how we started the week, it was with some Trump tweets about, oh, maybe this won't be resolved until after the election and they'll, they'll deal yeah, with sleepy Joe I, Biden. What do you think? That's just posturing or? Yeah, I, you know, I, I don't know what China's position is, but yeah. but I could tell you, I mean, I think Trump has made it clear uh, what he wants. I also think you can read from the tea leaves with regards to uh, the Trump administration uh, that they are in tune to what's going on in the markets. They are in tune to what's going on with the economy and that potentially uh, they would make some sort of concessions if they thought that the damage was going to be severe enough to uh, da- damage the economy and, and obviously damage uh, Trump's reelection chances. Hi, I'm Ron Kraszewski, Chairman and CEO of Stiefel. Financial Advisors, if you're not growing your practice, you're losing market share. Stiefel is a growing, entrepreneurial, advisor-centric firm built for successful advisors like you. Imagine having the resources of the largest wirehouses and the support of the boutique shops, but none of the bureaucracy to get in the way of you serving your clients. At Stiefel, it's your business, your book, your clients. I always tell the advisors we're recruiting, I want you to come to Stiefel and double or triple your business. Most of them laugh and shake their heads, but I'm serious. Don't take it from me. Take it from Stiefel's number one finish in J.D. Power's 2023 U.S. Financial Advisor Satisfaction Study. So there's a reason why 148 financial advisors joined Stiefel last year. Come join us and find out why Stiefel is the firm where success meets success. Visit www.choosestifel.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. To switch gears a little bit, uh, Romaine, one of the things I don't envy you is when an earnings report comes out and you're reading it live on TV there, trying to trying to make sense out of mm-hmm. uh, headlines on an earnings release right as they hit. But I'm curious if you if you step back a little bit. I mean, we have almost three quarters of the markets reported for the second yeah. quarter. Any big takeaways for you uh, that maybe we've missed? Well, I mean, the big takeaway here is that we are seeing declining earnings, uh, period, declining yeah. earnings. We're seeing declining revenue growth. Uh, these companies are still growing. And I think you're seeing sort of a almost sort of a, a you know, this sort of corner being sort of uh, notched out into the market where you have companies that are still able to grow. They still have a healthy demand from their customer base. That's where investors are flocking to. But I don't think you see a lot of confidence amongst investors in a lot of these earnings releases uh, that this is something that is sustainable. And I'm just talking about in aggregate. There are yeah, right. there are some clear exceptions to this. But in aggregate, and I think that's why you're seeing this sort of rotation into defensive and then back into back. cyclicals <laughs> and then back into defensive because people are really trying Musical to figure terrorists. it out. Yeah. Right. Uh, you know, so we're half, almost halfway through the earnings season. And I think you have a clearer picture that this sort of rebound that a lot of people are expecting in the second half of the year, uh, if it does materialize, it's certainly not going to be as strong as some had thought in the first half. You look at the performance that we've seen this week, and it's clear that defensives are back in the driving seat. You look at those at the top of the leaderboard, it's real estate, it's utilities, consumer staples, communication services. Alec, coming back to you, a lot of strategists here in forecasts, we saw Goldman Sachs raise their forecasts earlier this week. Much of that is predicated on multiple expansion, valuation growth, uh, because we're not seeing it in actual corporate profits, seeing where everything with the trade situation is going and seeing the situation that we have with the Fed as it stands. Do you see multiple expansion growing even further from where we're at now? 
not based on the current macro environment. So something would have to give most specifically on trade. I think the one thing we should focus on and maybe tying into what Romain was saying about the earnings season is that the increase on September 1st of a, a new 10% tariff on $300 billion in currently untariffed Chinese imports will be immediately um, dilutive to earnings. Mm-hmm. So we have a situation where companies manage the earnings process. They're beating expectations by about two or 300 basis points, which they do on average every quarter. Right, right. The problem is that the consensus numbers out fourth quarter, first quarter, they're kind of like icebergs. They tend to melt. As you get within a couple of months, you have a better sense of a realistic number. You know it'll be beaten. If you apply that type of analysis, we're in a five, six percent at best earnings growth environment here. And we're trading at 17 and a half times with with the the earnings numbers naturally tend to go down forward numbers as analysts get right. more realistic and revise them. You put the tariff um, macro uh, dilution on top of that, no way you're going to get multiple expansion. You're getting multiple expansion when people are thinking, oh, the Fed's going to cut, the macro's going to improve. That's over. Fed is disappointing, or at least a poor communicator. And the macro is visibly deteriorating now via Twitter. Right. No, right. no, no. You're not. <laughs> we, we took three cracks at thir- 30 and a quarter on the S&P and mm-hmm. couldn't break it. Right, mm-hmm. right. Before this latest, th- we're, we're done. I mean, wh- whether we can drop back, consolidate, recharge, and take another shot. You know, we all know in this business, things could look very different in October, November. Right. So I think year-end targets are a little bit of a, of a fool's errand. And, but, I, but I think Goldman would probably want to have that one back. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, maybe a little bit of bad timing. But looking even deeper to this next tranche of tariffs, sure, it's 10%, which is a lesser rate than the 25% that we've seen on the $250 billion so far. But considering that this next list, the $300 billion, is going to be more so on consumer goods, yeah. Does a 10% rate on that larger amount worry you more than the 25% we've seen so far? As you said, it's going to be more consumer-centric. Apple doesn't have an exemption as of yet. And we know AirPods and wearables were a big part of, um, you know, their their growth. And that's the kind of thing that gets gets hit. So um, the other thing is the president is the ultimate poker player. So it's 10% now. There's currently 25% in place on the old money uh, ter- imports that were being tariffed he's leaving himself room to go to 25 on the new batch you know in the next round of of of, of poker of betting as it were so just because we're only going to 10 now doesn't mean that the final resting stop isn't um isn't 25 i mean it's pretty clear that um his people came back from the chinese negotiations this week and briefed him and he didn't like what he heard and so he's trying to, and I don't know if you read his tweet word for word, but he's trying to be very, he's saying, we look forward to engaging with you. And My friend, getting up. Yeah, yeah. We're, he said, we're going to put a small additional tariff on you. So this is clearly, um, you know, gamesmanship and, and deal making. So I think the market is going to be worried that, um, you know, we're not stopping at 10. Luckily, there's a finite amount of imports coming from China. So there's a finite universe of, of the dollar amount of Chinese imports that can be tariffed. But the president's made clear he's willing to look at other places. The last point I would make on this is you mentioned that Fed Fund Futures, once this news broke, um, started to much more aggressively price in a September quarter point ease, and yet the market's still soft. So I think the the, the smart money takeaway here is that it, don't get long around the Fed. That's priced in. That can't help you anymore. When something's been this talked about and beaten to death, it can no longer move markets. So a dovish Fed can't help you. And and at the margin, the growth outlook, which is the reason you need a dovish Fed in the first place, you need growth to be short. That's that's melting away a little bit. 
And President Trump has the potential to do a lot of damage very quickly, or at least get people to extrapolate that in their minds because he's very vocal and he's very bold. So when you add it all up, I think the the momentum has shifted very quickly and violently from the bulls uh, to the bears this week. And I think I, I think it's um, it, it would behoove investors to sort of step back and not do the thing that's been working recently. The Pavlovian instinct is to just buy the dip. So, Alec, you sound very cautious to me. I think that's a common you know feeling right now among investors. But, you know, if you're someone who needs to remain invested in equities or, you know, we all know the dangers of trying to time the market, get in and out. It's very confusing now, as Romaine pointed out, uh, what is a good defense to play right now. Like you, you mentioned, you know, in a low rate environment, REITs, uh, the bond proxies, utilities do well, but there's almost feel like a crowded trade now with utilities, high PEs. Uh, another place people had always sort of uh, assumed would be a safe haven from the trade war is small caps, uh, just because they're more domestically focused. But as you point out in your, your note, they're heavily uh, weighted towards financials. Large caps are more tech weighted with the, the larger earnings growth. So you know, boil it all down. Where is a, a a good place to play defense if you want to stay fully engaged in the stock market right now? Sure. And just to point out, I mean, we try to give some tactical insights. So just because there's a cautious tone, certainly not suggesting major allocation changes. Most of our institutional clients do have, you know, all equity mandates right. or um, asset allocations that they have to maintain on an evergreen basis. It's more just about expectation setting. Right. You know, and we are still up, I think, 19 and a half percent for the year. Right. So, you know, this is <laughs> not a bad year. But we, we do want to set expectations because a lot of people think past this prologue. There's a lot of uh, the recency bias from the behavioral work. And we think... Um, the, I call it a gear shifter day, but there are times when the tone changes and the direction shifts. All those things have an inflection point, And I think we've just hit one. Um, and I think if you look at the July performance, everything was clustered around up about 2%. There were a few outliers on either side, but everything's participated on the way up. I don't think there's going to be any great place to hide on the way down um, other than maybe cash. And that's why people do have cash allocations is so that yeah. they can put dry powder to work in these kinds of um, situations. But again, I just caution that the biggest thing that's helped risk appetite has been the dovish Fed. And I think we've stretched that rubber band as far as we can. And at the margin, it un- underwhelmed a little yesterday. I don't think that helps you. And then on the growth side, which has been the big source of anxiety, um, the president's um, trade news flow has meant that, that that's deteriorated. So when you add it all up, I think the path of least resistance tactically is, is lower um, for, for stocks. All right. Well, on that downbeat, I think we have to end. Liven with, it up a little bit. Liven it up a little bit with the <laughs> with the craziest thing. I mean, we're not all... we're not all going triple leverage cash portfolio <laughs> right now. <laughs> if I can triple lever cash, I think I would do it. I don't know what kind of what kind of rates you get on it your leverage on good. cash, but uh, but uh, Romaine, uh, let's start with you. Have you witnessed anything? I mean, okay, look, we witnessed all witnessed a lot of crazy things this right. week. What's the craziest thing you saw? Okay, well, aside from Jay Powell's press conference, <laughs> yes. uh, uh, you, you know, actually, the thing I w- it wasn't sort of witnessed, but it was a great story actually uh, in Bloomberg Business Week about oat milk. Are, are you into this this now? I and, saw and, it and I've been meaning to read it and I haven't read it. Yet. Well, I'm, it, it, it's I've got to say it's pretty good. It's a it's a well, okay, that, that's a, that's a, that's a matter of debate. But, it is, it but, is. But it's a fascinating read about how this something that was 
pretty much obscure just a few years ago. A Swedish company, uh, Oatly, makes this thing, and they came to the U.S. a couple of years ago. They just built this gigantic f- facility in New Jersey. They're building another facility in Utah. They can't keep this stuff in stores, and Bloomberg has this great sort of breakdown of, A, how it's made, the milk, um, which, you know, isn't the most appetizing uh, process. <laughs> but, you know, apparently it has, you know, the same mouthfeel of milk, apparently. And uh, it gives mouthfeel you, is a the, thing? Yeah, that texture and mouthfeel of milk. But you don't have, you know, if you have issues with, you know, eating animal products or something uh, or you just are again or you just can't t- tolerate dairy. This gives you that alternative. And I, I, f- I just see this popping up everywhere. And we talk a lot about, you know, plant based meats, though, obviously the, the, the surge of, you know, beyond meat and, and impossible foods. It's, it's just kind of an interesting phenomenon. And for somebody who still, you know, just drinks regular milk and eats, you know, regular beef, <laughs> I, uh, I well, find it very fascinating. There's now, there's now oat milk in the Bloomberg pantries if you haven't seen it yet. So I, you can oh, try I have it. seen it. I've tried it. <laughs> I know. I'm still a regular burger eater. Are we cavemen? I mean, it's I don't know. Well, yeah, we're, we're dinosaurs. We're going out of style. <laughs> well, my crazy thing kind of ties in, but but uh, Alec, let's go Let's go with tears first. What, what's your crazy thing for the week? I'm probably going to stick to the market. I thought that was, you guys wanted the craziest thing in the market. So that's kind of what I came I up with. I think they did, Alec, but I just, I don't read that. <laughs> and that was good, Roman. We needed to kind of, you know. <laughs> we got light, creative. Lighten it up a little bit. But I would, just sticking with the markets, we've had a few choices. You mentioned the press conference, which was definitely a little bit you know, offbeat. But I think the president and his tweets, I mean, he's been tweeting for years. So I think when we look back and we rank all of the president's wild tweets, especially related to financials markets. That's going to be uh, quite a list. Thursdays uh, is going to be right up there. All right, Sarah, what do you got? All right. So mine mine actually also, in a way, uh, goes off of Romaine's oat milk because it has to do with Beyond Meat. And that is because there is an ETF and its ticker is FNG. It's known as the FANG ETF. Mm. And what its title actually is, it's the Advisor Shares New Tech and Media ETF. Now, you might not expect this. It holds Amazon, but the fund no longer holds Facebook, Netflix or Google. However, This week, it bought 3,100 shares of Beyond Meat. So not quite huh. sure how a Beyond That's, Meat uh, stock fits into a, a media and new technology fund, um, but yeah, they're going after it. All right. Well, I guess it's new technology, right? Yeah. I, I guess. I, guess. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm going to go with some old technology. You guys are familiar with the Canada Goose Company, the yeah. $900 jackets. I, uh, Romaine's probably has three of them. With the, <laughs> I have one. And I <laughs> And it's warm, and it's the best jacket I In the winter, you'll see Romaine come in with his suit, his Canada Goose. (laughs) Right, right. The animal lovers up there are very upset with Canada Goose because part of their uh, selling point was that they were treated the geese very fondly when they took took the feathers for the down. They mm. used coyote fur, and they promised that we only hunt coyotes that are— pests and and threatening mm-hmm. pets well you're going to tell me all this isn't not true. exactly no, it's not exactly right. so uh canada goose shares took a, a beating on thursday uh when the new york post got its hands on a video that the people for ethical treatment of animals had uh filmed of uh canada goose suppliers basically grabbing the geese by their necks oh. and stepping mm. on them I, this is actually probably the saddest thing in markets this week this not, is bad. Not crazy. yeah we we were livening it up, and then you just had to I really know, bring it back down again, Mike. <laughs> right. If you have a complaint about any of this, you can call us on our hotline number, and uh, 
or, or Sarah's direct number, I think, is better. Oh, no one has my direct number, so you have to stick with the hotline. Stick when with does, the hotline. When does the hotline phone it? ring? I thought it was going to ring now. <laughs> it's like the bat phone, yeah. We weren't going to get, like, you know, Joe from Nassau County <laughs> ask us how the Knicks are going to do this, this, this year. No. It's probably going to be Joe Weisenthal from the fifth floor. That's <laughs> exactly. what I'm for. He's, he's our real go-to guy for crazy market stories. And if you want to share any of your craziest things with us, you can also tweet at us at podcasts. Or you can also leave us a voicemail at our Bloomberg Podcast hotline. Also, if you have any questions for us, feel free to give us a call and ask away. That number is 646-324-3490. And we may even play your question or tip on the show. I'm Alec Young, Romain Bosick. Thanks so much for joining us today. My pleasure. Thank you. What Goes Up will be back next week. Until then, you can find us on the Bloomberg Terminal, website, and app, or wherever you get your podcasts. We'd love it if you took the time to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts so more listeners can find us. And you can find us on Twitter. Follow me at, at Sarah Ponsek. Mike is at Reganonymous. Romaine Bostic is at Romaine Bostic. And you can also follow up with Footsy Russell at Footsy Russell. And Bloomberg Podcast, as I mentioned, is at Podcasts. What Goes Up is produced by Topher Forges. The head of Bloomberg Podcast is Francesca Levy. Thanks for listening. See you next time. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.